you're welcome. <laughs> this is actual footage of what it looks like to live in a house full of boys, by the way. Uh, much to my wife's dismay, this is what it, the first word that comes out at usually after daddy's home is usually, hey, let's wrestle. That's like the next, like, let's wrestle. Like, we do a lot of wrestling in our home, and uh, our boys do a lot of wrestling. And it starts out, it's a really good time, you know. It really does. We're having fun. We're wrestling. Um, it's my boys all day long. She's like, just, just stop. Can we please stop? And her classic line is the line that many of you as parents have said at one point or another when there's some sort of playful fight that is going on. You know what that line is? somebody's going to get hurt, right? Somebody is going to get hurt. And usually it's true. It's, it's usually true, especially when my boys have taken it to the next level now where if daddy's like laying down on the floor, they'll be like climbing up on the side of the couch, like ready to drop two knees like in my back, you know? And that's how, sometimes I'm the guy that's getting hurt, you know? And uh, sometimes it's uh, little bro gets hurt because big bro doesn't know his own strength. And so there's, at some point or another, somebody's crying, somebody's upset. And I'll, I'll put it, I won't put it past little bro either because he's feisty. Like that's not a little guy you want to mess with because he'll get in there and he's like a little uh, like Tasmanian devil and so sometimes it's big bro that gets hurt you know and the little one right now I'm just trying to protect him from the madness I'm like just take it over there like get get out of the way like he better not get hurt or everybody's gonna get hurt you know like y'all better back up um and and this isn't this the truth though somebody's gonna get hurt and uh that's the truth and really when it comes to our relationships when it comes to how we interact with one another in human relationships, imperfect relationships, messy people living together on planet Earth and sharing spaces together, it's only a matter of time before somebody gets hurt, right? Conflict will arise. Disagreements will arise. Pain will be inflicted. And somebody will get hurt. And we've all experienced it. Likely we've been on the receiving end of the hurt or the pain that's been inflicted, and sometimes we've been on the other side of it, and we've been the one that's inflicted some level of pain, whether it be emotionally, physically, so on and so forth, uh, to somebody else. And the truth is, no place in our life uh, is free of conflict, because everywhere we go, there's other humans, uh, imperfect human beings that, that we're living life with and doing life with. So when it comes to our homes, our homes a lot of times are messy, and from time to time somebody gets hurt. When it comes to our sports teams, uh, sometimes people get hurt, right? When it comes to our workplaces and and, uh, the the places that we uh, uh, live and work every day, it's just a matter of time before somebody gets hurt in one way or another. And it's true about churches, too. And some of you maybe have been to churches where that, that, that video is like, that's, that's like my church. Like, that's, that's what I was used to. Or I experienced a moment in time where there was that kind of conflict. And there's times when people will come through our doors and they'll describe a setting that they came to, a situation that they came from. And uh, sometimes the easiest thing we feel like we should do and there's a conflict is, I'm just, I'm out. Like, I'm, I need to restart somewhere or replant somewhere. Um, but I feel like when, when folks show up, I have to warn them, listen, somebody's going to get hurt here too. Because the truth is we're imperfect in the same way. We make mistakes in the same way. And so we have to figure out how do we navigate these relationships um, in a way that's healthy and constructive. Because in, unintentionally and intentionally from time to time, we will hurt others and others will be hurt by us. It's just... It's just a matter of truth. It's a matter of reality. And Jesus, he taught a lot about this. 
This was important to his heart, how we, specifically among one another, among our fellow brothers and sisters, how we operate in community together in a way that is healthy and constructive. Matthew 18, which is the chapter that we've been on the past couple weeks, actually is full of Jesus' instruction on how we deal with conflict and confrontation. And specifically in Matthew 18, there's a lot of dialogue regarding how how do we deal with issues of sin in our midst and in our camp and in our friendships and when our brother or sister specifically sins against us, what do we do about that? And so Jesus gives us a framework for how to respond to those kinds of situations in Matthew 18. And likely, if you've ever brought an issue to us, a conflict um, to us, you've heard us reference this very framework because this is how we deal with church discipline as well. We figured it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us. And so maybe you've come with a complaint about your brother and sister, and you probably know the first thing out of our mouths is going to be a question. Have you gone to your brother or sister? Have you gone to them first? Okay, if you haven't gone to them, we've got nothing to talk about yet, okay? So go back to your brother and sister. If you have a conflict with them, go there first. That's the starting place. And so Jesus lays that out in Matthew 18. Go first to your brother. You might win over your brother or sister. Secondarily, if your brother or sister has sinned against you and you've gone to them and they don't respond, then you can go to your brother or sister and bring another trusted advisor along with you, another spirit-filled person that also has the goal of repentance in mind for this person and redemption in mind for this person. Step three, if that doesn't work, then you bring in the church leadership and involve the church. And so let's not skip steps one and two. Let's Um, let's make sure that we go through those steps. Step three, then, is to involve the church. Again, so that that person might be restored. This is always the goal, and the hope is that our brother or sister might be restored, that relationships might be restored, that we can step out of this in a stronger way. And number four, if that person still does not repent of their sin, then you release that brother from among you, which sounds harsh, but this, too, is an act of mercy because the hope is that when we release our brother over to whatever sin that they're caught up in, that they will, through the power of God, realize their sin and realize there's no place like home and the family of God and come back to a place of repentance and restoration. And so all of these are acts of mercy, and that really is the heartbeat of what Jesus, how Jesus wants us. If we could wrap a word around that, it's the word mercy, it's the word grace. And so what we're talking about today um, is, the story that we're talking about today is on the heels of that instruction to uh, the disciples. And so this, a lot of these parables are wider parables that Jesus is speaking to the crowds, to the masses. This is an in-house conversation that Jesus is having. He's, saying, he's, he's speaking to now the church. He's speaking to the people of God when he gives this instruction. And so that is the backdrop here. And I love it because Peter always has a question, doesn't he? The apostle, I love it because he's always got that question that the rest of us wanted to ask. We all, you got a friend like that, right? They're like, we're all wondering it, but they just blurt it out. They're like, I, I, I'm just going to ask it. And so Peter, you know, they're all wondering it, but Peter asks a follow-up question. So he grabs Jesus after this teaching, and he asks him the follow-up question, which is, it's a, it's a pretty obvious follow-up question. And Peter came up to him, and he said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? How many times? Jesus, give me a number. Like, what's the number? And then I love it because Peter, he goes on and just offers up an answer, too. Like, it's like a loaded question. Like, he asks the question, and then he gives the answer, too, or part of it, or what he thinks might be a good answer. And he goes, as much as seven times? 
And I think what he's wondering, I don't know what he's expecting of Jesus, but what I think he's thinking is Jesus is about to give him a fist bump like seven times. Brother, you are a righteous brother. Like, wait, so you would forgive your brother up to seven times? Like, man, like, I have not met a more compassionate dude than the Apostle Peter right here, you know? And so, like, this is what I think he th- he's puffing up his chest. Like, as many as seven times, because I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready to uh, forgive my brother up to seven times. Because in the Old Testament, the standard was three times. The standard was if your brother sins against you three times, show compassion three times. And then it's like, it's done, right? Because what they were basing it on is this passage in Amos where God himself forgives the people of Israel or forgives the enemies of Israel three times and then he's done showing compassion against the enemies of Israel. And so they're thinking in the Old Testament standard, they're like, if it's good enough for God, it's good enough for us. Three times, we can't be more compassionate than God, so three times. But Peter, he's like, I'm ready to double that number. Three times, flip three times, I'm going to add one to it, seven. Seven times, Jesus, I'm willing to forgive my brother. And so, surprisingly, Jesus does not, is not impressed. And I'm sure um, Peter at this point is deflated by his response because he says, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. So he ain't looking so righteous anymore. Like, now, now what's this number all about, right? Because that's like this just seems like another big number. This is Jesus just kicking out another random number, and it sounds cool. He's like seven, but now he's gone seventy-seven. Like that, you know. Like I'm about to, I'm about to up your seven and up the ante to seventy-seven. Uh, this is not an arbitrary number. What, what if this, there's more to this number? Because how often are things just arbitrary with Jesus and his teaching, right? It's not. In fact, there's an Old Testament story. You've heard of the story of Cain and Abel, right? You remember Cain kills his brother Abel because Abel brings forth a, a more favorable sacrifice before the Lord. And so Cain is jealous about that. He's angry about that. And this builds up in him to the point where he just can't take it anymore. And he takes it out on his brother in murder, right? And we see this act of sin and vengeance. And what ends up happening after that is that throughout his descendants and generationally speaking, violence perpetuates violence, which perpetuates violence and vengeance. And there's more. And there's this cycle spinning out of control. It's getting worse and worse. And more and more, they're just like in the ring, like just tearing each other to pieces. And there, several generations later, one of this, uh, uh, Cain's descendants, his name is Lamech, he kills a man for wounding him. They're just wounding him. Like he, this man strikes him, and so he takes it to the next level and just kills the man. And he celebrates it, and he calls out. He says, I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is 77-fold. So in defiance against God, he stands up and says, I'll take vengeance. Into my, if, if, if Cain's is sevenfold, I'm going to show you a greater level of vengeance. I'm going to show you 77-fold. So Jesus, like the great teacher, he, he, he shows uh, Peter a story that he would have been familiar with. And as Lamech brags about this, he's despising God and he's bringing about really ongoing vengeance and evil that grows into the place where God's ready to bring about a flood upon the earth. And that's uh, so we know that story. But what Jesus is demonstrating here is it doesn't have to do with the 77. He's saying, listen, just as much as that cycle of vengeance just carries on and on, and it gets worse and worse and more and more ugly, and that's the result of it, so your love should be, so your forgiveness should be. You need to buy into a different cycle. You can't live in both cycles. 
You can't live in the cycle of love and mercy and generosity and also be caught up in the cycle of hate and vengeance. One of them is going to take you over, and it's likely going to be this one over here. And so as people of the gospel, as people of Jesus, then Jesus offers us a different kind of way to live. And it's, I'll just warn you, and you already know this, it's unconventional. unconventional. It's unnatural. It's easier to be caught in this other cycle that just says, I'm going to give them back what they gave to me. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. We're going to repay evil for evil. That's what we're going to do. Instead of doing what the Bible tells us, which is repay evil for good. Somebody's got to step in and do good. And that's what Jesus is showing here. And so he goes on, he gives them that answer. Probably not the answer that uh, Peter was necessarily looking for. But then, like a great teacher, he tells them a story. And that's the story that we're going to look at today. And so if you want to turn in your Bibles to Matthew 18, we're going to pick up uh, in verse 23 as Jesus begins to tell this story about forgiveness. And I love what Stephen shared a few weeks ago. He talked about Warren Wearsby and how Warren Wearsby would say that these parables are like at first a picture. The first is picture about God and who God is and a reality about God. And then all of a sudden Jesus takes that picture, he turns it around and there's a mirror. And all of a sudden we're looking in the mirror and we're having this... um, uh, this looking at the mirror and looking at our own reflection, and he draws us into the story and has this personal implication for us. And lastly, it becomes a window, which is our ability to respond in this window of opportunity that Jesus gives us to live a different kind of a way. And so that's going to be the framework for what we talk about today. I want to pull those things to the surface um, as we share today. And so the way I'm going to phrase it is there's a reality, there's a realization, and there's a response. So let's look at the reality first in verse 23. Through 27. I'm going to read through the whole parable and then we'll dig in here just a little bit. So starting in verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he had began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not repay the debt, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment be made. So the servant fell on his knees imploring him, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who had owed him a hundred denarii and seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So this fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, I will pay you. He refused and he went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then the master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all your debt because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. There's a lot there. There's a lot there. Let's look at the reality first. The first reality is really a reality about God. And each of these parables is primarily about God and who God is and about God's character. So the reality here about God is, and we see that God is the master in this story. God is is to be compared, as Jesus describes it, he's the master in the story. And 
what we see about this master of the story is that no matter how great the debt, the master's mercy is greater. No matter how great the debt, God's mercy is greater. And now this was a significant debt. That, that number probably doesn't mean a whole lot to you. 10,000 talents, we read that and we're probably like, okay, cool, big deal. Like, what, what, is that, what is that even? Like, what is that in, like, our money, right? So, so let's just visualize it this way. I know there's some math people in the room, so we're going to, even though this room is, this side of the room is bigger, we're going to have one of those. You remember you used to go up to the board and you had the math competitions? Like, so, like, I loved math when it was a competition. It's like, who can solve the problem first, right? So I'm going to give you guys a problem. It's going to be this side versus this side. I'm sh- you guys are running thin, but that doesn't mean you can't get it. And you can use the calculator. Seven. That would be the right answer. Yeah. No, sorry. That, that would have been awesome if you were right. Oh, man, totally ruined it. All right. So one talent would equal 20 years wages for a day laborer. Okay. It would take 20 years, one talent uh, for a day laborer. Okay. 20 years wages. So how many years would it take to pay off that debt of 10,000 talents if you were a day laborer? Who's got it? I think I heard it over here first. You added a few zeros, but that, that was good. So it would take 200,000 years. 200,000 years. I don't know many people that live that long, right? And that's Jesus' point. Like, so at age 200,001, this servant would have been debt-free. You know, he could be walking free and living life. And 200,001, he's a free man. And that's Jesus' point. The number is staggering. There's no paying back this debt. You thought you had a high credit card balance, right? Like, no way. Think about just working for the rest of your 200,000 years, right, to pay off that debt. It's just not happening. It was kind of the equivalent of $6 billion uh, in, like, today's terms of a lot, a lot of money. And... You ever feel that feeling of just being stuck under a debt that's just so big that you just feel like you can't, whether it's financial or otherwise, you just feel like you can't get out of it? What a feeling, right? I mean, it's a crippling feeling to feel so bogged down by a debt like that. It's not a good feeling. I've been there before on credit cards or whatever it might be, and you you get to this point where you're like, I just cannot get ahead of this debt. And that's the point, is there's no getting ahead of this debt. And some of us have experienced that. Some of us have experienced maybe on a financial level what that feels like. It's not a good feeling. We had accumulated a debt a few weeks ago that I wasn't aware of. And uh, it was happening during nap time when, uh, I won't name his name, but our oldest boy was downstairs uh, watching TV while the rest of us were asleep. And uh, we have Amazon Prime, we have Netflix, we have Hulu. Um, But just because we have those services doesn't mean that everything on there is complimentary. You know what I'm talking about? So... All of a sudden, I'm like, when did we get, like, all the Toy Story movies? We got them all. We got the whole, like, digital collection. I'm like, cool. Like, Amazon must have thrown us a bone here and just given us some more free stuff. Like, I love you, Amazon. I'm so excited. Nope. And also, the Star subscription that we had for a couple months that I was unaware of, that wasn't a free bonus, like, trial either, apparently. I was like, this is great. Like, where are all these movies coming from? This is cool. Like, these are, movies are just coming out. How do I have access to them? Apparently, I had, I had inadvertently paid for a Star's subscription. And so we, like, what do, you know, it, it wasn't a huge amount, but it was in the hundreds of dollars, and that means something to us. And so we called up Amazon, just called up Amazon, and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I can see how that's a concern, you know. And, like, I'm like, what are they going to do, you know? And here's their response to us. They said, Tell you what, 
we will do you this one-time courtesy. We will do you this one time as a, we'll do you a solid, you know, just one time as a courtesy. I'm like, oh, man, mighty Amazon, how generous, you know. A one-time courtesy, a couple hundred dollars, like, you, you guys, come on. I appreciate it. Gee, thanks, you know. Like, I, I've seen your stock, you know. I know I know how much more of a courtesy you could do me, but that's okay. Hopefully it's not a problem again. But I love how they stress. It's like it's a, it's a one-time thing, all right. Do it again. And it's, you're owning those Toy Story movies, all right? And you're paying for those Toy Story movies, and that's just going to be what it is, right? There is a limit to, just in case you know, there is a limit to Amazon's courtesy, and it's at one time. One time. That's it. That's the limit to their courtesy. Um, I should have told them that it's not seven times, my brother, but 77 times you should be showing me courtesy. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so as the servant pleads with them, uh, he does more than offer him this chintzy one-time courtesy, right? He's, he's lavish in, and you might read this one of two ways. You might think, man, that's harsh of the master to, like, get ready to sell him off into and say, he's allowed him patiently to accrue, like, 200 and something lifetimes worth of debt, right? He stood back and just let this debt accrue, and he hasn't called him on it until this moment when this debt is massive. And then at the moment in time where he falls down on his knees and pleads before him, he forgives the debt without any expectation to be paid back. And that's really a great picture of God, isn't it? 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he's patient toward us, not wishing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. God wants us to come to repentance. And there's a few things that we can observe here about God's forgiveness. And I think it's important as we think about how we forgive those around us. The first is this, the severity of the debt is not overlooked. Sometimes we think if we forgive somebody, that we're overlooking that this debt was, and we're just saying that's not no big deal, right? There's, they're not saying this is no big deal. They're saying this is 10,000 talents. In fact, let's sell, your, your whole family's getting, you're about to lose everything. And so the severity of the debt is definitely, we're aware of that. We're acknowledging the severity of the debt. We're not overlooking that, right? But in spite of that, God's not shrugging his shoulders like at the, the, the massive enormity of our sin. It's like, ah, it's no big deal. Don't worry about it. No, it's our, the penalty for sin is death, right? We know that this is, this is a big deal. So there's not overlooking of the debt. That's the first thing. They're aware of the debt. Secondly, the debt is pardoned despite its severity. So despite the fact that this debt is huge, there is an even greater pardon that is issued. Because our debt is great, God's mercy is even greater. The third thing that we see is that the debtor is released. No payback is demanded. He doesn't work out a payment plan with him. Like, hey, we'll tell you what, you can pay me back over the next, like, whatever. We'll work something out, you know. He lets him off the hook from the debt completely. And a lot of times we like to forgive a little differently, like, tell you how you're going to make it up to me, you know, like that's, and even like we like to, like, you can be, I forgive you, but you're going to make it up to me, right, whether you know it or not, like you're, you're making it up to me, and so we hold on in that way, that's not true forgiveness, forgiveness is the ability to release that person, and there's no payback demanded, but that's not the kind of mercy that is commonplace, is it, and that's exactly Jesus' point here. God's mercy is different. The kind of mercy that we're called into as the people of God, it's a higher standard. It's what mercy truly looks like. So when Peter asks how far his forgiveness should go, Jesus gives him a picture. 
the Father's inconceivable grace and mercy and forgiveness. And the story could end there, and it would be a great story. Like, wow. Like, but there's more to the story. Jesus hasn't even made the, the next point that he wants to make yet. And so he goes on, and he talks now about what happens then to this servant that's been forgiven this great debt. And we read about it, and it's like we start to get, it's not what we expect. It's a weird twist in the story. Like, no, 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 that's not, that's not what should be happening here. And so what happens is it says that he, he receives mercy, but when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred. So he's like going looking for this guy that owes him a debt. And he grabs a hold, he seizes him, he grabs him. Please walk with Jesus through the graphic, emotional part of like the way that, just imagine, he's grabbing this guy, right? Like in anger, he's grabbing a hold of him, he's seizing him, he begins to choke him. Like, I mean, are you, is, you imagining, like he's grabbing him around the neck, he's choking him, he's saying, pay back what you owe. So his fellow servant, in the same way that he's just done, falls down before him and pleads with him. For he gives him the same exact plea, have patience with me and I will pay you. But he refuses and he puts him in prison until the debt should be paid. And as I read that, I'm like thinking to myself, like, wait a minute, what? Like, does this guy have amnesia? Does he forget what just happened? He's going to choke his fellow servant out and refuse to pay his debt? Was, was he not just there when this massive lifetime debt was just, he's been released of it? And you can't wrap your head around that. And his servant, he gives him the same plea and he says he refuses. How could he forget that moment that he just had before the master where he was down on his knees pleading for mercy? Will you let me go? He was about ready to lose everything. And the truth is, he never really was impacted by that moment. If, 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 he did not, if he's not able to show mercy, then how could he be changed by the moment that he just experienced? And that's Jesus' point. And if you're outraged, and my point was to bring you, because Jesus would have been, as he's telling this story, his point would be that Peter would have been outraged by the end. Like, what? Are you kidding me? How could he do that? And at just that moment, he's bringing out the mirror. And he's giving all of them a look into that mirror, and he's saying, the same is true for you when you fail to forgive your brother or sister. That's you. Do you have amnesia? Did you forget how great the Father's love is for you? Did you forget how deep your sin ran? Did you forget what an incredible gift God gave you in spite of this enormous debt that you brought before him? And the question the master poses to the servant is the same question we've got to pose to ourselves as we're looking in that mirror Shouldn't you have mercy on your brother and sister just as God had on you? Shouldn't we be those kind of people? And that's where if we're really tracking along in this story, it's not just about learning some great principle. It's about coming to a point in our life where we walk through the story at a moment of realization and say, uh-oh. Because the, the realization is that an unmerciful heart is an unchanged heart. We can't say that we've been impacted by the gospel of Jesus that though undeserving gives us the opposite of what we deserve if we're not willing to stick out a hand and extend a hand in forgiveness and friendship to our friends. How can we hold on to those grudges? 
How can we allow bitterness to grow inside of us when we have been shown such great mercy? So either we have not fully calculated the size of our own debt and appreciated the size of our own debt before God, or we failed to understand fully how good God is and the magnitude of his mercy. I love what Paul says to Timothy. He just acknowledges it. And just in humility, this is his statement. As a leader, here's how he leads out. He says, listen, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I'm going to own that. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm the worst. That's a different kind of posture, and that's really the posture that mercy comes out of. Because when you're able to look in the mirror like, I'm the worst of sinners, yet God forgave me, it makes it a whole lot easier to realize. When we realize we need God's grace and mercy just as much as the next person, it's a lot easier to be patient with our friends when they wound us or hurt us or when we face conflict. Let me point out one more thing. Interestingly, so this 10,000 talent debt has been forgiven. This other debt, the debt that his servant had that he's about ready to choke him out for, it's about 100 silver coins. And it's still a large amount of money. So it's not, the debt that he's coming to collect is not a small amount of money. But it doesn't even begin to compare to the size of the debt that he's been released of. I love what Rick Warren says. He says, God's mercy to us is the motivation for showing mercy to others. Remember, you will never be asked to forgive someone else more than God has already forgiven you. So we look in the mirror and we see this realization that Jesus offers, which brings us ultimately to the window. It's like, what's our opportunity then? In light of that, in light of God's great mercy, in light of our great debt, how do we respond? And our response is, it's pretty straightforward. If we read through verse 34 and 35, we see how God responds in light of this wicked servant. And so his other, his buddies then rat him out for what he just did. They take him before the master, and the master is upset, as you can imagine. And so he says, shouldn't uh, you have had mercy in the same way I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay off all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to you, every one of you, if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. So he goes as far to say, you know what? The debt's reinstituted. If you want to work based on that system of you, everybody pays off their debts and everybody has to work for their debts, that's a system we can work with. So you're, ba- you're, you're going to get the same thing that you just gave this guy then, and you're going to get the same degree of mercy that you have given. And that's the point there, and it's a strong point. And so here's what our response should be. We should show mercy to the same degree to which we want to be shown mercy. That's the point. Show mercy to the same degree that you want to be shown mercy. And I don't know about you, but I need a whole lot of it. I need a whole lot of mercy. And I try to remind myself of that. You start to get self-righteous when you start to feel like, okay, I need to remind myself that I need a whole lot of mercy. 
as I've been writing this message this week, I've been staring at this painting all week that uh, is, is on the shelf of, of my office now. And um, this is Rembrandt's painting of uh, the prodigal son, the return of the prodigal son. And I love this picture because this is in our artistic kind of a way. Uh, this is one of his masterpieces. And it, it's, it's all about this story that many of us know so well. And it speaks back to the heart of what Stephen was talking about last week, this, th- that God chases down every, every lost sheep, that God chases us down, that God runs to us, that God welcomes us home. And I think that as I just think about that story, it's such an incredible story. This is the climax moment to that story when after this son has rejected his father, he's taken his inheritance, he's squandered it all on wild living. It's basically like spitting in his dad's face and walking away and taking his money and then just blows it all. And then he comes to a moment of realization in his own life as he's eating the pods of the pigs in the stalls that he's working in, only job he could get. And he has this moment of realization where he's like, you know, enough is enough. I'd rather be a servant in my father's house. Maybe he'll just take me back as a servant. And so he starts heading home. And God doesn't just give him, the, the father doesn't just give him exactly what he deserves. The father runs to him and he welcomes him with open arms, throwing a lavish feast to celebrate his homecoming. And that's our story. That's all of our story. In one way or another, we've rejected God. We've turned our backs on him. Yet he doesn't give us what we deserve. Instead, he welcomes us home. Max Lucado writes that mercy gave the prodigal son a second chance. Grace threw him a party. Grace threw him a party. And if we're going to be people of grace, we've got to remember that we're just as much at the mercy of the Father who loves us lavishly and cares for us lavishly. So we have the opportunity to resemble the Father in the richness of his mercy and grace, or the guy to the right who's looking over him in a spirit of condemnation is his older brother, whose argument with his father is not fair. He doesn't deserve that. He shouldn't get that. And again, a twist in that story is that the older brother is the one that misses the party. He misses out on the feast. He misses out on the celebration of the father's love and the reunion of the son. And so we have a choice to make. We have a culture that we can create here. We can choose mercy. We can choose grace. We can choose to welcome our brother and sister once more. Or we can, we can choose to get caught up in patterns of grudges and bitterness. And, but that's not who we are. And so I just want to challenge you. Let let us continue to be a place that when people come in here, we're ready to throw a party for them, right? And we're ready to go above and beyond. We're ready to celebrate our brothers and sisters when they come home, when they come to repentance. We're willing to actually show mercy in the way where we reach out a hand. And I could leave it there, but the truth is, all of these stories we should think about on a personal level. When we come in here and we hear a message, and more particularly when we hear the scripture shared, All of us should be asking the question, what do I do now? And I mean, make it personal. Who's that person that you're trying to keep out of your mind right now? He's like, you're justifying the fact, like, that doesn't mean them. Because 
that doesn't apply here. That person wronged me in this way or the other. That doesn't apply here. Forgiveness doesn't go that far. That's beyond the 70s. That doesn't count, right? We have to think through, who is that person? And am I going to extend a hand of friendship and break the cycle of bitterness and pain and hurt and reach out a hand in friendship? Because that's the route to healing is when somebody's willing to break the cycle. You know what? I forgive you. Or you know what? I'm sorry. Let's have that conversation. Let's move forward. And that's how we operate as the body of Jesus in the same way God shows us grace and mercy. And so who is that to you? Who do you need to take a step and reach out a hand to this week? Start, start working in that direction. Choose mercy. Choose grace. I want to leave you with two things here. Um, one is a word from Jesus, and, and the second is a prayer uh, of Jesus. And so first, the word from Jesus. Jesus' word to you is this, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And then a prayer. And I'm going to give you a moment here to actually pray this prayer. Actually take a few moments, and as Hannah begins to play, just Spend some time with God. I mean, you might want to try to, some of you are going to be like, well, put up a wall because I don't want, if he comes in, he's going to work with me on something. And I, I don't, let the walls down and walk with God through this. Forgive us our debt as we forgive our debtors. Those two things are interconnected. That's the prayer of Jesus. And so when we go before God in need of mercy, we also need to be prepared to release those who have sinned against us. Forgive us our sin as we forgive those who have sinned against us. I just want to give you a moment just to spend some time in prayer. Do some relational inventory of your life right now. Say, God, who, who do you need to speak to me about? Which of my brothers and sisters do you want to just guide me into healing and restoration with, God? Break the cycle of conflict and step out in compassion. I'm just going to give you a couple quiet moments as Hannah pr- uh, plays to so just pray that prayer. Forgive us our debt as we forgive our debtors. Some of you, you've been carrying your debt for too long. It's time to hand it over and give it to God and say, you know what? I need your mercy. I need your grace. And today might be the perfect opportunity as we go out to the pond to say, why am I carrying this debt any longer? God, please take it. So forgive me my debt. allow me to forgive my debtors. Pray that prayer and then I'll close in prayer. God, we fall at your feet, pleading with you to show us mercy once more. We thank you that your mercy never fails us. Your grace is sufficient. Restore us, God, from the inside out. And God, I pray that you would equip us, you would strengthen us to go forth 
and forgive those who have sinned against us. That we might reach a greater level of strength, God, that you might allow us to take steps forward in our relationship and continue to just create a place here at Axis, God, that's a grace-filled place, that's a place where we throw parties for one another, whether we deserve it or not, because none of us really deserve the party. We thank you for the depth of your love that covers all of our sin. You are good, Lord Jesus.